Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. Oh, I have I have something to tell you about my mom. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know if she's gonna. So I was. Does Constantine I, know this? Uh, I don't know. But anyways, the point is, my mom only listens to Shania Twain. She doesn't like music. It's been like twenty years. <laughs> She has, one Shania, she has one Shania Twain CD album, that she listens yeah, to on, when she goes Google. jogging. Yeah. Anyways, I was at home. Um, <laughs> I was at home being crippled after my surgery. Yeah. Uh, lying in bed, and uh, I hear my mom uh, going to exercise. Yeah. And guess what's playing? It's not Shania Twain. It's Adele. She was cheating on Shania. She's been cheating on Shania with, <laughs> with Adele? Adele. And I asked her about it, and she sort of shrugged off the question. Oh yeah, I didn't know. But it was, I, I well, could hear it clearly, I know the album, it was Adele. Adele is a huge step in a better direction, though. You think that's about, yeah, it's a better direction. I mean, I agree. basically anything from Shania Twain is a step into the right <laughs> direction. Is that the sort of music your band plays? Exactly that. <laughs> yeah, we focus on romantic songs and stuff. Anyway, that's enough of that. Joining me, Ian McCourt, on today's One Football Podcast is, and this is very special, and in the flesh, Danny Isroff. Yeah, in the flesh, I'm here. Straight off the red eye. Yeah. Into the podcast studio. But not jet lagged at all. Never, no, never he's, he looks, myself and, oh, well, Constantine Keller is also here. Hey, and great to be here again. And special as well. And we were just saying that Denny does look good. In fact, he looks, he's dressed just like a Bond villain. He is indeed Which all are, black. Yeah, I really don't the think it's the worst thing in the world. I mean, you could be Bond, but being a Bond villain is not, not too bad either. No, it's not the worst. Well, it's not the worst. At least you go out well spectacularly. This is true. <laughs> It would be one of the bonds that's set in the snow, though. Yeah, with the turtlenecks. Yeah, stuff, the turtlenecks. The yeah. yeah, I wouldn't mind that either. I no. think if, if anyone is, is open to shooting this, I, I would definitely do it. Well, there's loads of major movies. Oh, they're making a new one, aren't they? Uh, they're always making a new one. They're always right? making a new one. Anyway, it has now been two days since the Champions League balls were pawed over by Xavi Alonso, a man who seems to just get finer and finer as the years go on. Like, like a fine wine. It's positively sickening. Mm. how good he looks these days. Mm. But anyway, it's given you two days to digest all that went on. For those who may have forgotten about it all by now, here's how it breaks down. Juventus against Tottenham Hotspur, Basel against Manchester City, Porto against Liverpool, Sevilla against Manchester United. They always get the easy draws. Real Madrid v PSG. And Danny, you weren't in the office for this, but there was an audible gasp. When, when that when, the, when that when one came, came out, out yeah, yeah. Uh, Shakhtar Donetsk against Roma Chelsea against Barcelona Bayern Munich against Besiktas the standout draw is naturally PSG against Real Madrid is that the one that gets you going Danny yeah I mean it has to be it's it's I think this whole draw is actually really good the the thing is there are more than eight really good teams in Europe now so we're destined to get some of these big clashes earlier in the knockout rounds which I think is pretty exciting Neymar going up against his old adversary. Yeah, and it could be, uh, if, if rumours are to believe, the club, maybe he wants to join one day as well. No, we don't believe that. No, I don't believe that either. But I didn't believe he wanted to go to PSG. And there oh, there he is. That yeah. is true. Constantine, PSG against Real Madrid? Yeah, it's definitely the match in this round. But I think there are also other matches to look forward to. Personally, I also am very excited for Liverpool versus Porto. I really like uh, the what? style of club teams. And uh, I'm a big fan of the philosophy at Porto, even though they had troubles lately. I think it should be an open match and a very exciting one too. But of course, Real PSG is the match to watch there. 
A question from the sort of thick guy at the back here. What's the Porto philosophy that you like the so Porto much? The Porto philosophy used to be to detect players and sell them at like the tenth amount of uh, for what you bought them. Of course, this has been endangered lately, but yeah. this is what fascinated me about the club. And after being to Dragao once in my life before, I have to say I'm sort of caught by them. <laughs> there, there I was thinking the Porto philosophy was to piss off Andre in the office. No. <laughs> That's no. also part of it. Is it the best stadium you've been to in Europe? Ah, uh, no, I wouldn't say so. It's a pretty amazing one. Uh, mm -hmm. The atmosphere of the fans that they create in there adds to the experience, but there are lots of uh, amazing stadiums I've had the pleasure to be in, and I wouldn't like put Dragao on top. But Olympic Stadium. That, well, that's the best one in the world. We all know that. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite, sort of off topic slightly, is um, the Juventus one. Yeah, I think it's. I, th I think that's a great tattoo. I think tactically fascinating. Tottenham have kind of. Oh, I was talking about the stadium, but you want to talk oh, about the game. I was talking about the tie. <laughs> okay, yeah. well you go oh, ahead. I've never been to the Juventus stadium. The stadium but, is great, but this, the, the tie is even more interesting. The, so go with it. The the, the tie, yeah, Juve against Tottenham. I think Tottenham basically at, the, at this point have sort of thrown all their eggs into the Champions League basket, um, and it, it, Juve at that time could still be in a very thick title race in Serie A so you could have a team that's not really focused on uh, on domestically playing against a team that, that that's spread a bit thin and um, I, I think Tottenham will really be up for that You think they could do it? Yeah I think so I mean they've shown their, their performances in Europe this season I know they've had their their issues domestically, their performances in Europe this season have been really, really good. I mean, mm. they've deserved all the, the, the great results against Real Madrid and Dortmund, and I, I don't see why they couldn't do that again. I remember on the podcast, I don't know if you were on this one, Danny, but when the draw came out and we were looking at the group stage and we thought, oh, Tottenham haven't got a hope of even getting mm. out of the group. Well, but then Dortmund <laughs> imploded. So. Yeah, well, we'll talk a little bit more about that later. Uh, there's only one German team left, Constantine, and that's Bayern. Yes. The... <laughs> Besicht us? They were really, really lucky with that last draw, weren't they? I mean, uh, I think Besiktas, with all due respect, is one of the easiest draws they could have possibly got. And uh, despite the fact that they might have to face one of the most intense atmospheres in European football that Leipzig already experienced and, well, didn't do so well. I How think, did that end up? I think Besiktas won 2-0 back then. And oh, that was the I game when... Timo Werner actually had uh, to ask for substitution because he had troubles with, uh, well, his ears, basically. Yeah. Um, I think, or, or I don't even think it's that unlikely that a result, not 2-0, but a win of Besiktas in their stadium is impossible, but I definitely think Bayern will proceed to the next round. Okay. Despite the fact that they play weird this season, they never seem to go to the limit. They just, well, jump as high as they need to but I think it will be enough for Besiktas, with all due respect. That's maybe my favorite football story of this year. Bayern? Or? Uh, no, Timo Werner. Ah, uh, Timo Werner. <laughs> and yeah. having did, to did they figure out what the issue was in the end? It was just, just it was the atmosphere. I think, it no, I think it was actually that he got a smash on his ear and therefore his uh, balance was off and uh, the oh. noise in the stadium, of course, added to it, but it wasn't the main problem. Still, uh, of course, it reads better that Timo Werner had to be substituted because of the noise. Right, sure. <laughs> Much better. Chelsea against Barcelona. Yeah, well, there's a bit of bit of history in that one. <laughs> Lionel Messi has never scored against Chelsea. I think it's eight games. But I want to say he was the one who passed to Iniesta for that goal. Am I remembering that correctly? Oh, you might be. Square, I, I, can I think see... he cut it back and squared it across, and I think it was 
I think I think all it was I remember is Michael Ballack running towards that Norwegian referee from that match. <laughs> and Trogba. I mean, yeah, Jesus. They said that Michael Ballack um, ran to the Benny Hill music. You know that. It's very very good. It's worth looking up. I, I think uh, I think Chelsea actually have a chance. I, I think no, I really do. I, I think uh, because Barcelona's, they've given up on the league as well. <laughs> no, not really. I think they're actually doing doing a lot better now. But I think Barcelona's performances haven't actually been as good as their results, which have been brilliant. Would 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 suggest I think they're they're still a bit vulnerable at the back. They do concede a lot of chances, and Chelsea, at least last year's version, which I think they're slowly coming to resemble now again, uh, really was able to, to to punish teams like that. And I think they could do that. And they would have Alvaro Morata. They would. Going up against his old adversary. Very true. A lot of interesting storylines throughout there. If you were to look at these now and I were to push you for a potential champion from here, looking at how it is, who would you, who would you go for? Well, that's a tough one. Uh, I think I have to go with a boring answer here. Whoever wins Real PSG is most likely to go through and actually get the whole thing. It's uh, For me, it's the clash of, well, maybe the best two European teams at the moment. God, that is amazing, though, that game. We sort of skipped over it a little bit, but that is... I mean, either side going out is a huge story across Europe. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, it's massive. I, I think picking a winner of the competition at this stage is really tough. I'm looking at all the teams and... I still think that it's as open a Champions League as we've had in many years. Because it looked for so long that Real Madrid would be, or at least pre-season, it looked yeah, like sure. Real Madrid were sure. sort of nailed on for it. But yeah, God, it's fascinating. Roma is who I would like to see. But they win won't, it. But they won't do it. That, yeah. That's probably about as good as your Tottenham to win the Premier League prediction. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> going to remind you of that every podcast. For you should remind season. me of that every podcast. And uh, <clears throat> But we'll maybe pass on for it now. Now, there may be only one German team left in the Champions League, but in the Europa League, there's a whopping two. Dortmund will play at Atlanta and Leipzig will take on Napoli. That's pretty interesting. Two times German Italy. We all know how that usually ends, don't we? <laughs> oh, we <laughs> yeah, do, but, don't we? But yeah. I think we have uh, pretty interesting matches there. Uh, I was uh, chatting to our new colleague Francesco from the Italian newsroom and uh, he says that Atalanta, from his point of view, might actually have a chance against Dortmund. And well, judging from Dortmund's currently firm, yeah, I, I couldn't anyone, agree, I couldn't agree more. Right <laughs> but uh, Atalanta actually are a quite interesting team. I watched them destroy Everton's uh, second row the other night mm -hmm. in Europa League, and uh, I think those should be two intense matches. And Napoli versus Leipzig, wow, that's, that's a terrible draw for Leipzig, isn't it? For Given Leipzig, the it's like there. the worst that could possibly happen. Napoli is for me one of the strongest teams in Europe at the can, moment. Can someone explain to me because I, I didn't understand exactly how the seeding worked for this? I didn't look into it how can you have two teams falling from the Champions League together how do they allow that I mean I they're, they're, that's possibly the two strongest teams it's about, in this competition it's just about teams who are well what's the English word for that is it an open draw from no it isn't there are oh, two, okay. two boxes so to speak yeah. two selections two pots, yeah, exactly yeah. and one is with teams that are so called set and others are unset and Leipzig as far as I remember correctly was unset and could therefore even face Napoli that's insane Anyways, it'll be a great tie. Really, two, yeah, two very exciting football yeah. teams. Um, so, as we said, Constantine, there's just one team, one German team in the Champions League, just two in the Europa League. That's something to worry about. 
I think it's a reflection of a development in the league that has been going on uh, for a long time, and it also reflects in the table more and more each year. I mean, uh, the coefficient table? No, the table of the oh. Bundesliga. In fact, I mean, if you look now, Leipzig are closer to tenth place to Hannover, and they're in second place than to Bayern Munich, and uh, it's not a new phenomenon. And I think uh, this also reflects what I'm aiming towards too in the Europa League uh, statistics of German teams. No German team since 2010 was able to pass the quarterfinal. What does that tell us about the average strength of the league? There were many teams who came and tried, newcomers. Mm -hmm. Then you have teams like Schalke or Leverkusen who should know what they're doing there, even Dortmund last year. Mm -hmm. But none of do, them got really far. Do, do you get the sense that German teams take the Europa League completely seriously? Because I think that's the, the big problem for English teams is that Historically, they haven't. I get the sense that Germans seem, Germans take everything take seriously. Everything seriously. Yeah, I guess <laughs> that's we do, we but do. They, it, full strength teams every every game. I think it's a mixture. I mean, you have smaller teams like Cologne or Hertha this year who actually sent uh, so called one B squads in there because they simply can't afford to right, uh, not focus problem. on the league yeah. completely, which is far more important. As sad as it is, but uh, then you have other teams. Yeah, and sometimes you have the impression, especially in the KO matches. You have two options. They're rather not experienced enough or competitive enough, which would be really sad, mm. or they're just not giving 100%. Why is the league more important? Just the money? League, the league is, uh, it, well, it butters your bread, so to say. I mean, uh, it starts with the TV money. It uh, ends with the popularity in the country, in the national markets, which is, from my experience, more important to those clubs. And uh, Surely you, it should you, be about glory and trying to win something. Uh, yeah, that's the romantic version, but okay. I don't think that's how it works. The Europa League simply is not uh, attractive enough from a financial point of view. And you actually had examples of teams going to the Europa League, trying to do big things there and actually doing big things there while almost being relegated from the Bundesliga. And not just once. It's uh, a frequent story. Hmm. That's pretty interesting. I mean, Cologne is a special case this year, but Hertha, for example, are also just three points ahead currently of the relegation places. So, And what position are they in the league? Uh, I think currently we're in the 11th position. Uh, we play tonight, so we hope to improve. Okay. Let's see. <laughs> are you worried about it all? Are you worried about the sort of the state of the Bundesliga? That, uh, I mean, a lot of people have thought that it's one-dimensional for, for quite some time now. It seems to it, be the it, case. It depends. I mean... It can't be, or it is never satisfying as a fan in general when you know that the league is basically decided before the first uh, ball is kicked above mm -hmm. the pitch. But um, at the general level, I thought there was a big progress, especially for in regard of Dortmund and other teams. And, and Leipzig. now yeah. Leipzig is a new strong uh, component. You also thought that uh, teams like Wolfsburg with the Bräune when they won the German Cup, they seemed like a team that could challenge Bayern for years. Mm. Well, two years later and many mistakes... And uh, they almost got relegated. Didn't Wolfsburg win the league a few years ago? That uh, was back in 2009. Ah. And afterwards, they also made a lot of mistakes, unfortunately. But okay. that's a whole different story. Anyway, I think uh, it just shows that none of the teams, not even Borussia Dortmund, who did such an amazing job in the last years, are able to keep their level up to be close to Bayern. That starts with Bayern buying off their best players and ends with bad own personal decisions. Yeah, and uh, to be honest, it sucks. <laughs> well... Speaking of Dortmund, they have done what they maybe should have done a couple of weeks ago and sacked Peter Bosch. Uh, I presume you think it was the right choice in the end, Constantine? I have never seen, I thought about this a long time before going in here, I have never seen a Bundesliga team with such class going on such a low level and such a crisis. It's, it was just amazing. I mean, the 4-0 against Schalke, that, which they ruined, Oh yeah. That's that was just... 
I mean, a failing can be epic. That was it. It's it's incredible. <laughs> no, it was it, beautiful. It was it incredible. Was, it was to definitely watch. overdue uh, to Zach Bosch. Even though I have to say, I was really convinced he was the right man at the start of the season. At the start, exactly. Because they had a glory. I mean, so, sorry for those who missed that. They had a glorious start to the season, and then all of a sudden, exactly. It seemed to all fit his philosophy. What you could read about him, what we wrote about him. <laughs> But uh, yeah, it's just uh, he went into a spiral and uh, of negativity and never got out of it. So I, th I think there are a couple of points to bring up here. One is uh, I watched Ajax a lot last season, and I also thought uh, Peter Bosch. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. I was actually at the um, Amsterdam Arena. The what do they call it there? I watched them at home. I watched I watched oh, quite okay. a lot of games. Um, thought thought they played terrifically. I thought he was a really great fit. Uh, I think that's the danger of taking coaches based on one season, because what you're saying is that guy in that environment at that time with that players was the right fit, but he doesn't have a history. Of, of of consistently showing that he can do it in different environments. And that's that's really the gamble that they took. And it it, it the amazing thing for me is it looked like it was paying off. I mean it really they were uh, absolutely flying. And then uh this this is sort of my next question. I think there might be something happening behind the scenes mm, at that the, yeah. club that we're not that we're not aware of because I, I cannot see how a club can go from being so good to being so bad in mm. such a short period of time. I wanted to ask how much the players are to blame. The players are always to blame if a club fails as well. But with the players of Dortmund, you have to see the still difficult psychological situation after the attack on the bus. People might say it shouldn't be a factor anymore, but people also forget that it was an attack on their lives. And uh, whenever they are asked about it, especially Mark Batra gave a really interesting interview to the Spanish magazine Marca, mm -hmm. where he explained his feelings and thoughts in the in the moment and in the upcoming weeks. I think that's not just something you can shake off. And it will always be there, it's still there. And when you then also face a negative spiral in the starting season with the new coach after a fresh start, I think it plays hard with you. It messes with your head. And then the other thing I wonder about is whether that last season of Klopp, which was also, I mean, a kind of similar disaster in a way, they were they, not, not, not the same pattern in the season, but they, they were a team that had done really well with really terrific players and really, really struggled for reasons that, you know, absolutely weren't clear to anyone on the outside, I think. And I wonder if there's something in the the psychology of the club or again, something going on behind the scenes that allows these mm. these things to, to take place. I think if you compare those two seasons, which is a pretty good comparison, you have to see that in both ways, the problem was that the team just knew one way to play football. Right. Klopp, Klopp is a fantastic coach, but back then he didn't have exactly lots of plan Bs or Cs. I would argue and he still doesn't, but anyways. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, well, what, this is exactly what Peter Bosch's problem was and maybe still is. And uh, yeah. Some suggestions the fitness levels weren't as good as they could be as well. Hence all that fading in the second half, which was That's so That's something we cannot like completely judge because we don't have insight on that. But uh, well, if you give away a 4-0 and uh, frequently concede or receive goals in the last, I think, 20 or 30 minutes, there are statistics about that. It sort of gives away that there is a problem. And if it's not a problem with the body, it's a problem with the head. And mm. then we are again at the mental stage. Speaking of problems with the head, what was that story you were telling us about the other day with the Schalke player? The Schalke player and problems with the head? And he had to dye his hair? Oh yeah, uh, Amina Harit. It was a hilarious story. He betted with a friend that he would score in the derby and if he would, he would actually dye his hair black and yellow. Well, he scored the 4-2, which was the start of Schalke's Furious <laughs> final. 
And well, his next uh, training appearance didn't go so well with the fans, but I think they forgave him by now. <laughs> oh, for a good cause. And if you Isn't haven't seen great? it yet, folks, yeah. Google it. It looks just terrible. Black and yellow hair looks terrible. Yeah. Okay. Well, cross that off my to-do list. <laughs> anyway, for in Ned, East Germany, it's very popular, though. Uh, the man in charge is Peter Stöger, who was last seen leading Cologne to the bottom of the Bundesliga and out of the Europa League. That seems like an odd choice to me. Well, Stöger did a very, very brilliant job the four years before in Cologne. So uh, this is step first where it might be a good step uh, or reason one. Reason two is actually uh, there were not that many people available, were they? <laughs> and... Uh, well, his his first uh, show or his first match actually showed what uh, people can expect from him and the BVB. He is a guy who gives his team security on the pitch and off what's the pitch. Okay. He's all about team building, all about stabilization. And from my point of view, that's exactly what this team needs right now. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I think it was a really smart choice. Um, our Austrian colleague, Emily, wrote a brilliant comment on why he's actually the perfect fit. And she also stressed those uh, components. Uh, he's really good with the players who already confirmed that in interviews that he gives okay. them back their self-confidence and actually makes them believe in themselves and in the club. Wow. Well, that's me. Answered. And they won last night. They won 2-0. And it was exactly what you would have expected from a Stöger team. Not exactly like, uh, well, firework play, so to speak. But... In the end, they won and they kept a clean sheet, which is even more amazing if you look in the past weeks. And it's nice to see Julian Weigel back playing at a better level than before. The kid's brilliant, but he had a couple of rough weeks. But I think uh, Stöger might be, once again, exactly the man he needs right now. And long-term, Nagelsmann? They that's gonna, him, that's gonna be so interesting. I don't know. Nagelsmann kept and keeps denying that he has anything to do with Bayern or Dortmund or anyone, but the rumors just won't die. And there is a reason for that, if you ask me. I think Nagelsmann would be a better choice for Dortmund than for Bayern, or it would be better for him to go to Dortmund instead of Bayern. Mm -hmm. If he actually wants to go there, I don't know. Uh, uh, one thing that also will influence his decision is his family, and they live down in Munich. So, Wait, is his wife is from Munich and they're building a house down there? I think like it's something like that. He definitely has strong roots in the south, so mm -hmm. doesn't seem too logical to make a move to the west. But, well, let's see. I think he would be a good coach for them. Or Lucien Favre. Well, well I've seen also. I've seen Favre working. Uh, the problem, I think, there will be his. How do I put this in a nice way? His uh, difficult character and uh, <laughs> his constant self-doubt, which, uh, for example, Max Eberl at Gladbach was able to rule out constantly and strengthen him, and therefore he was there for such a long time. Okay. Still, we know how it ended with him resigning, despite mm -hmm. the club didn't want it, and uh, the same story happened in Berlin with Hertha. Favre is as brilliant as a coach as he's difficult as a human being, but I think there's not a club in the world that couldn't be happy to have Favre as a coach from a professional perspective. Wow. You should write his LinkedIn profile. Yeah, you should write my LinkedIn <laughs> profile. Well, I, I've seen him work. It's, he's amazing. He's a genius. If you, dear listener, was hoping that the presence of Daniel Isroff would mean more MLS time on the podcast, then your luck is in. Danny, you watched the final on Saturday. I, uh, yes, I did. Toronto, glorious. They, they were glorious. They, I've, I cannot remember seeing such a one-sided final. Oh, really? Ever. I didn't stay up to watch it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you, you, I would encourage you to watch the highlights, but it's basically just one team having a training session and the other team 
not even playing. Yeah, Toronto absolutely dominant. So and, what happened? Uh, Seattle collapsed. Uh, I think part of it is that they 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 didn't show up. Part of it, they're not that great a team. Okay. Just just uh, really, I don't think that could. I think it, it kind of speaks to what I was talking about last week that the Eastern Conference is much much stronger than the Western Conference. I think Toronto have cemented now surely their status as one of, if not the best team ever in MLS. They, they've completed the the treble, mm-hmm. um, which we were talking about. Last yeah, week, we, yeah. We, which no one's ever done before, and they're just really a better team i think if you played 10 games between toronto and seattle most of the games would look like that they'll be sleepless in seattle after that one very good <laughs> <laughs> i can't imagine i'm the only one who, who, who no i actually didn't see a headline over. like that but yeah oh really no no, no okay yeah. and josie altador enjoyed himself he did yes yeah. so josie i mean he came in for a lot of criticism he was getting booed throughout the the playoffs by opposition fans for his role in the uh uh, national team catastrophe, the failure to qualify for the World Cup, him and Michael Bradley. Um, and and Josie really played a good game. And, and when his moment came, he, he, he made a good run, took the ball well and, and, and finished well. And that, was, uh, that, that made all the difference. I don't know if you saw this, Constantine, but he afterwards he basically went on the piss for two days. And he arrived, is it, was, it, was it the trophy ceremony? Yeah, I, I think so. And he was like, yeah, what's up? I've been on the piss for two days. I'm paraphrasing, but it was something along those lines. Yeah, he deserves to enjoy himself. Yeah. Uh, so the, any other takeaways you want to mention from the match at all? Than- no, I think, I mean, I, I think it's just going to be hard to stop Toronto next season. I can't see another team in MLS getting to that level. They, they showed they're really, really just well-balanced and a, a very, very good MLS team. How popular are they in Canada? Are they are they big? Yeah, yeah that, that, that's that's another thing. It's so it was their first ever MLS MLS Cup win, and uh, actually only their second ever time in the playoffs. And it was really front page news in 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 Toronto and across Canada, and got the kind of coverage that uh, you would expect of of such a such a great achievement. Uh, which isn't always the case for all of the MLS teams in in the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so that was great to see. I think the the sport there's there's been a lot of talk about how how much football has grown in in America, but the the growth that it's had in in Canada with the teams there and and how popular they are is also terrific to see. Probably down to Jermaine Defoe as well. <laughs> there's a there's a there's an argument that he started all of this by being so terrible when he was in Toronto. I forget Jermaine Defoe played in Canada. He did. Yeah. Uh, it's. Uh, it's something else. Uh, one final question about the final. Uh, what happened to Deuce Dempsey? Uh, Deuce, he um, yeah, he just didn't show up. He's he's been a man for the big moment, but he was. Uh, I think his problem started. He was wearing two different color boots. He had a one blue boot and one red boot, and then the Seattle uniform is is neon green. So overall, that just wasn't a good combination. I couldn't see how he was going to play well wearing that. That doesn't work at all. No, he's an interesting character. So what? One red, one blue. Did you say? Yeah. I don't know what it was all about. To I think it's maybe a tribute to the to the uh, U.S. Maybe you would think so, US, but he wouldn't yeah. want to bring it up because the whole you know non-qualifying thing. So that's true. Anyways, odd. Either way, okay. The MLS season is done and dusted, so maybe it's time to hand out some awards. We could call them the Isrofs. Yeah, I think that's a great name. God, that's a pretty good name, isn't yeah, it? Let's we, go with can that. We, can we get some trophies? I'll Just talk. Be, I'll talk to the finance department. My face with a turtleneck. <laughs> Uh, so we're handing out the Isroff for player of oh team of the year we'll go with first will we team of the year yeah so the obvious one is is Toronto but uh, I think you, you want to give it to yeah let's 
put Toronto yeah. aside because that's just boring. Um, the the big surprise of the year was was Chicago, who were terrible the last couple of seasons, really rock bottom, and then brought in uh, Schweinsteiger, brought in some other big uh, big players, and really did well. But the team I actually want to give it to is can you guess? Atlanta. Yes. Yes. You know, you've, you've been listening to me all along. Yeah. Um, yeah, Atlanta, who first season in the league, and not just for what they did on the pitch, uh, did very well making the playoffs. Um, lo- lost at the end there. But they, they, the, the style with which they did it, the verve, uh, the, the way they played, and then all the off-pitch success. Uh, you know, the, the breaking the MLS attendance records, getting tons of fans in, creating a huge buzz around Atlanta, which really... You never would have thought could be a, a, a like a football mm. city. Yeah. Um, well, it's a football city, but not that. Type the, of not football, the, yeah, right? a, a, <laughs> a, a, a soccer city, and um, and they really yeah, the the star of MLS for me this season. Have Atlanta, you been to United. Atlanta? No, but my dad actually spends a lot of time there. It's uh, in the trap. It, yes, I, I don't know. If that's that's exactly how he would put it, but he um, he spends time there. It's it's supposed to be okay. Okay, uh, the is rough for award that you would like to see something change next year? I don't know if that's quite an award. It's not quite an award, really. Um, no. Uh, a couple. Of, so there's all the usual stuff, which I bang on about the whole time, the promotion, relegation, mm. and changing the schedule. Uh, but the one thing I think they really have to revisit next season that they, they might actually do would be to change the... to, to, to revisit the, the, the playoff format. Okay. Um, because the truth is the regular season in MLS this year was great, very exciting. The playoffs really sucked. Uh, and I think there's sort Why of they a, suck so much? the uh, combination of sort of some tentative play. I, I, I've said for a long time, it's, it's too easy to make the playoffs. So you get some bad teams. It's mm-hmm. mathematically this past season, more teams made the playoffs than didn't. I don't know what kind of playoffs that is. And then uh, also the schedule. So they have this November FIFA date. That's like smack in the middle of the playoffs. It completely loses the, oh, the yeah. momentum uh, before and afterwards. Uh, and just yeah, the games weren't great. They they have some some rounds are home and away. Some rounds are just one game. Um, so I think they have to look at that and and see how you can create a more uh, exciting competition, still in the spirit of MLS, still having these playoffs, um, but that really engages people. Okay, um, the Isra for biggest disappointment of this season. Ooh, biggest disappointment. Uh, it's I think a fairly easy one. It has to be FC Dallas. Oh, um, not Galaxy. Team, yeah, sort of. But I think people knew it was a transition year okay. for them, and they 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 lost some players, lost their manager. We're going to struggle. Um, uh, FC Dallas started the season on fire. I mean, they were the best team in MLS the past couple of seasons. Started the season on fire. Had a Borussia Dortmund like collapse, except instead of lasting a couple of months, it lasted That's a harsh the entire. Thing to say, Danny. Yeah, it was. <laughs> I, I felt. I felt very bad. It, it lasted the entire second half of the season. And they missed the playoffs, which, like I said, it's easier to make the playoffs than miss the playoffs. This was really the best team in the league the past few seasons. Uh, spectacular collapse, and they really deserve deserve the Isroff for uh, biggest disappointment. And the final Isroff, the one that all the MLS is talking about, the one that everybody, every player wants to get their hands on, it's Player of the Year. Yeah, so the... Is, is, it, is it Big Josie? Is a big jersey, no. Although he had a great season and I, I, I make fun of him often because I don't think he's a great player, but he's, he's really improved and come along. Anyways, uh, the MVP for the season was, was Diego Valeri, the, the, the number 10 for Portland, who scored 
nine games in a row at one point. That's an MLS record. Um, he he was very valuable to his team, who wouldn't have been as good without him. Mm-hmm. The best player I watched in MLS this season, I have to go back to the trap, as you say, Ian, mm-hmm. to, uh, to Atlanta, and, and it's Miguel Almiron, the, the, the Paraguayan playmaker, um, who is attracting the, the attention of Arsenal and Milan and some, oh. some big clubs in Europe. Uh, and if he's really the only player in MLS who's attracting that kind of attention. So I think that speaks to the season he had nine goals, 14 assists, and he missed a, a lot of time with injury. And then again, it's, it's, it's more than that. It's the style which, with, with which he did things, the, 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 the confidence that he brought to Atlanta uh, and the excitement that he, he created for fans, fans of the league. So I go for Almiron. One final question off-piste, because uh, we're just talking about Atlanta. Can they challenge for it next year? They're definitely because you've got me really they're, excited they're, about it. They're, they're bringing in some big players. I think uh, I think they can. I think another year of, of of maturity, a full year in their new home stadium, which they moved into halfway through the year. Uh, I, I think they really have the pieces. The East is very tough. Uh, I think if they were in the West, I would say definitely definitely can make it through. But they 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 they're really building something. They're very ambitious. They have all the fans behind them. The whole city of Atlanta. Uh, so I don't see any reason why not, except obviously Toronto, but they, they, they can try. Okay. Anything more to add? No, that, that's probably enough MLS. Yeah, I think that's enough MLS for another year. And that's probably enough from us today. My thanks as ever to Danny and Constantine and producer Damo. We'll be back next week for the last podcast before Christmas. So make sure you tune in for that. And thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>